Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Good morning. Man, I'm glad you made it this morning. I hope you're excited to be here. And uh, you guys know the drill. Turn to your neighbor, give them a high five, tell them how much you love them, and tell them, again, they look good. Tell them you're a Villanova fan. How many love golf? You guys into golf? Okay, hey, 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 this, that's, that's good. Uh, how many Jordan Spieth fans do we have? All right, a few of you. How many Tiger Wood fans do we have? Okay, cool. Um, man, I'm glad you made it. And uh, we love to talk about sports, but mostly we love to talk about Jesus. Turn here to give him a high five for that one. Um, I, hope, I hope you had a, you had a really good week. And I love you guys for service. You guys are my favorite service. You guys look really good. And uh, we, we have an ex- exciting few things we want to do at the end of this service. So I just have a few minutes that I want to share uh, some thoughts that the Holy Spirit's been talking to me. We're now uh, entering into a new sermon series. And we're calling it uh, something like Believe. And uh, now what? It's kind of the, the flow of our sermon series, but we're we're actually going to take a big view look at the book of Acts. Uh, This is not an expository series, so we're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to take big themes out of the book of Acts. I'm going to talk about that for the next probably five years. Just want to make sure you're awake. Okay. Uh, But uh, we're going to be talking about the spirit. We're going to be talking about healing. We're going to be talking about a lot of um, really cool things over the next um, few weeks. Uh, But I want to talk about just for a few, a, a, a few minutes um, out of Acts 1. And before I, before I do that, I, I just kind of want to give a big picture view of Acts itself. Uh, Acts is a kaleidoscopic story. So you have plot twists. Everyone say twists. How many like movies with plot twists? You like thinking movies, about two of you. All right, all right, okay. Mark Francie, put your hand down. All right. <laughs> Plot twist. I love Mark. How many of you love Mark and Rochelle? We're going to be doing some special things, Mark and Rochelle, at the end of, of this service. Uh, but Acts is, as, as I mentioned, it is this kind of kaleidoscopic narrative. Uh, there's uh, radical conversions. There's extraordinary miracles. How many of you read the book of Acts? Okay, a few of you. Um, it, it, I love it because there's just, it feels like the early church. Everyone say the early church has this air of invincibility. Love it. Uh, not only are they, again, kind of this, this tour de force, they, uh, they, they pray and they worship and they have community and uh, they have potlucks. How many think we should bring potlucks back? That was a trick question. We say no to that. I don't trust anyone's cooking. I had a bad experience. I had mountain lion at a potluck and I've never gone back to a potluck since, okay? Uh, probably had raccoon. I don't know. Anyways, um, but it, it, I love the feel of the book of Acts. Not only are there extraordinary, extraordinary things that happen, there are, um, the, the church has to um, um, go through suffering, and uh, you have apocalyptic storms. You have soldiers and mobs, and you have Herod and Caesars uh, that are confronting the church. So uh, where did, and this is the question that we're going to be talking uh, or trying to answer and kind of talking through, uh, where did the early church get their strength? What was the source of their strength? 
How do, how do they not only worship and pray and live within community and give uh, generously and live courageously, uh, how do they handle suffering and martyrdom as well and, and these apocalyptic moments? How do they, how did they get their source of strength? And what's fascinating to me is the personal transformation of the disciples. I love it. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the disciples, I, I, love, I love James and John. How many love James and John? Jesus affectionately calls them sons of thunder for a reason. They're like pyrotechnic guys, right? They love fire. One day, I think it's a Samaritan. Dr. Stan, you can correct me. I think there was a Samaritan village that rejected the ministry of Jesus. So James and John come up with a great idea. Jesus, how about you call fire down from heaven and kill them all, right? So they want to blow up towns and villages. Uh, Jesus eventually calls them sons of thunder. I have two of them in my house. And then I'm a redhead, so I got anger issues. So... You know, uh, I, I can relate. I can relate to that. So you got, you got James and John. And how, how, do, how do they turn into these extraordinary followers of Jesus who love people? From wanting to blow up towns to loving people. How does that happen? Think of Peter. Everyone say Peter. How many of you love Peter? Uh, Peter was the lead guy. Um, and one of the most, probably the most important prayer meeting, Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Peter He's the lead. He's like the lead pastor. Everyone say lead pastor. Uh, he sleeps through uh, the most important prayer meeting, right? He sleeps through. Then he wakes up, and guess what he does? He decides to get a sword and cut some guy's ear off. Like, could you imagine if I get up and I'm, like, talking about Jesus, we have a prayer meeting at the end of this worship experience, and I fall asleep, and then I wake up, and I start cutting people's ears off? You're like, okay, I don't know if I want to follow this guy, right? I don't know if I want him to be my lead pastor, well, Peter is transformed radically. Think of uh, as we come into the book of Acts, it's, it's amazing to see the transformation of Peter's life. You have Thomas, a global skeptic. He's the philosopher type. He's the guy who can convince himself that he doesn't exist. He's one of those guys. How does God take this motley, everyone say motley, this motley crew from different, different backgrounds, different walks of life. We have outside the 12 disciples, we have Mary from uh, uh, Magdala, Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons in her. God cleanses her. You have Matthew, the tax collector. He would have been pariah in this uh, ancient world. Uh, he was a collaborator with Rome, kind of a client um, a power broker uh, that the, the Jewish people did not want to associate with, and yet Jesus brings him into the fold. You, you take all these different people, and Jesus is bringing them into his group. Anthropologist calls this like this fictive kinship group. Jesus is bringing a new social reality, and he's empowering his people. Can I just say this really quick? You can't do life alone. All right, it's not all about Peter. It's all about James and John. It's not all about um, uh, certain disciples. It's about a group of people that is centered around Jesus. And as this group of people center and, and organize their entire existence, they're living, they're breathing, they're serving, they're loving around Jesus himself. Jesus himself, God does an extraordinary thing through them. Do we believe that God can transform people today? Like Oscar Wilde said, hey, when you turn 40, you got to own your face. What does that mean? Well, by the time you're 40, you have a certain way, a modus vivendi, right? A certain way of living. There are habits. And Oscar Wilde is essentially saying, hey, by the time you're 40, you are who you are. There's no redemption. 
Yet we believe it doesn't matter if you're 55 or 82 or 17, doesn't matter where you come from, what background, right, that kind of shaped how you think. Doesn't matter when it comes to Jesus, there is redemption, there is healing, there is personal transformation, there is hope. And so uh, it's, we, we believe, we believe that God can transform the human heart as we see in the book of Acts. Like, I shouldn't even be here um, this morning. I was going to say this evening, this morning. Uh, I, had, I had everything um, kind of going against me. Uh, I remember growing up in, in church. My parents were the lead pastors. How many of you love Pastor Ken and Connie? Love Pastor Ken and Connie. Uh, and I remember my mom, Pastor Connie, she would tell me almost every day, Chris, you're going to be in the ministry. You're a pastor. You're a Levite. And, my, and you've heard my story. I emphatically denied that. I'm like, I'm not going to be in the ministry. I don't want to be part of that. I love God. I'm not trying to be rebellious, but I kind of want to, kind of want to do my own thing. And God, doesn't God have a sense of humor, right? I remember saying over and over and over that I did not want to be in the ministry, and yet God began to work in my heart at 18, 19, 20, changed me, and I'm here because of a dramatic, a series of dramatic encounters that I had with Jesus. Not only that, I, I remember in ninth grade, how many of you uh, enjoyed speech class in ninth grade? It was terrifying. Come on. Why do they make you do speech class? So I didn't want to be in ministry. And I think mostly the reason why I didn't want to be in ministry is because I hated public speaking. Right? I would prefer death being eaten alive by Bigfoot or the great white shark than getting up in front of people and talking. And I remember in ninth grade, my very first speech in front of um, a group of people I, I, I sweated. It was embarrassing. I'll just say it was embarrassing and it was, it was horrible. And yet God began to work in my life and changed my whole perspective. And I'm here speaking to you. It's amazing how God can change you. And not only that, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. And we all know Dallas Cowboy fans are mental. They have problems, right? I just, it's, it's amazing that God can use a Dallas Cowboy fan, right? But God changed my life and I'm here. Um, preaching and leading and serving in a, a part of this community, and it's because of the work of Jesus in my life. Dr. Stan, I love, I, I, I don't want to give it away. I think Dr. Stan, he's done it several times, should share his testimony. Guys, 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 guys. Guys, if you think you're hopeless, you need to hear Dr. Stan's. And I'm going to try, am, am I right? Am I right? Dr. Stan, you were kind of wandering around the desert. I don't want to give it away. You thought you were the Messiah, Some, something like that, right? And then Jesus revealed himself to Dr. Stan, and now he's going around the world, one of the smartest guys that I know, and he's preaching the gospel. It's just, it is amazing what God can do. And then we have Mark Francie. Come on. Mark Francie, I love him. He moved here when you 17, 18, from California. You've heard me share this story. I didn't know who this kid was, but he always wanted to be around me, and he was a talker, right? Kind of a talker, skater, snowboarder. Um, and we were kind of in two different worlds. I was an athlete. He wasn't. <laughs> Kidding. No, he's a tremendous athlete. I mean, what he does with the snowboard and skateboard, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he just, you know, it was just... He was just a, he's from California, and we know weird people live in California, right? I'm teasing. 
So he moved up here, and I remember he was just following me around, and he just he really felt the call of God in his life, and uh, went into interns, and then one day he told me he felt like God was speaking to him about marrying my sister, and I said, the devil is a liar. You won't touch her. You won't think about her. You won't get close to her, or I will kill you, right? Uh, but it's, amaz- it's amazing how God takes a kid from California that just wants to snowboard, just wants, you know, uh, kind of do his own thing. And he was a good kid, but kind of wanted to do his own thing. And then God gets a hold of his life. And at the end of this message, we're going to be talking about Mark and Rochelle and Ocean's Church. And uh, in a few weeks, they're going to be moving down to South Orange County. And God's going to use them in a tremendous way to bless California. Thousands and tens of thousands of people are going to be transformed through the ministry that God has birthed in their hearts. So you can't tell me that God can't transform people today. So how, how, how does God do this? Or what's, what's the source What's the beginning of the story of Acts? And we'll go to Acts chapter 1, and we're just going to read about 11 verses. Verse 1 says, in the first book, this is Dr. Luke writing. I'm going to give you, I'll probably sketch out the biographical information next week. But in the first book, Dr. Luke is writing, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Jesus has bodily come back from the dead. Can I get an amen? You know what I love this? Jesus came back from the dead, and he didn't blankety-blank everybody. Can I get an amen? Here we have a loving kingdom, right? A, 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 A loving Savior. Jesus I mean, if you and I came back from the bodily, back from the dead, I'm sure we would blankety-blank people, right? We would go after our enemies. We would give big, long speeches about how we're the greatest. What does Jesus do? Jesus, we talked about this in John chapter 21. Uh, He appears to his disciples, and he makes breakfast. Can I get an amen to that? Lots of syrup and pancakes and bacon, right? So Jesus is, is the humble king. And so he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs. This is verse 3, appearing to them uh, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Could you say authority? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud, everyone say a cloud. And the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And everyone said, amen.
So what are we talking about here? Here we, here we have this kind of quirky beginning. Like this is, we're, we're going to be talking about the ascension, and I'm, I'm going to make the case this morning that the reason why the disciples turned the Mediterranean and the known world upside down was because of the, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. But the ascension for many of us is just kind of a quirky, right? Kind of a weird, kind of an odd beginning. Usually the ascension gets maybe one message um, every two or three years. We don't talk about the ascension of Jesus a lot. Because if, if we do talk about the ascension, it forces us to rethink how we see the world, how we see the cosmos. Here we have Jesus. He's caught up in a cloud. Everyone said a cloud. And uh, some people, like, like we're, we're Western-style thinkers, and so when we think of this, this is, it kind of feels like Iron Man, right? So he gets caught up in a cloud, and then he, like, takes, like, this vertical launch up into space. Many people think that, like, on his way to heaven. Like, where's heaven? Is it behind Mars? Is it behind Jupiter? And because we, we, we're, we're in, in the words of one scholar, we're wretched, flat earthers, and, and the scholar means that uh, our way of seeing the world is based on our world being a closed continuum. We think heaven is like just a location, maybe a couple trillion miles away in the cosmos, and that Jesus was like a primitive astronaut during the ascension and just kind of flew up into the sky, and he kind of just left us. So people get really confused about the ascension and the clouds and going into heaven um, because ascension kind of feels like abandonment. You ever, you, how many of you are 40 and older? You'll relate to this, okay? Um, if you're 40, come on, be honest. Some of you are not honest. Uh, remember Jurassic Park, the first, uh, the first uh, Jurassic Park? Um, we call it a movie, right? The first movie? And it's just, the, the, it's terrifying. Remember T-Rex is coming, right? And you have those motorized vehicles, they're stopped, and you got the two children in one of the cars with one of the gentlemen, right? And so the T-Rex comes and is kind of, a, I think he's attacking some of the cars. And one of the gentlemen, or this particular gentleman, he freaks out. So he leaves the children in the car and runs to the bathroom. And he gets his just desserts. The T-Rex gets him. And everyone said amen to that. That's weird and violent. Um, but remember one of the, I think, I think it was the girl who said, he left me. He left me. I remember thinking, like, okay, we have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we come to Acts 1. And, like, I, I remember as a young man, I'd be like, I'm, I'm so excited. I can't wait for you, Jesus, to do a lot of cool things on planet Earth. And then, bam, Jesus is gone. People think the ascension is about abandonment or the ascension is about God leaving planet Earth. Like, it, it somehow represents his absence from our life, and that couldn't be further from the truth. The ascension, and Luke is giving us clues, is not about this vertical takeoff where Jesus kind of goes to some location within the space-time world. We call this receptacle view of the universe. Don't worry about any of that. Just flow with me, okay? So Jesus did not fly up into, like, some orbit. He's not in orbit with, like, uh, Elon Musk, like Tesla, Right? Not, he's not, or, heaven's not in orbit, right? Heaven is a hidden dimension within our world. It has, it's a different kind of space. It's a different kind of matter. We don't have words to describe it. Heaven tears open. A cloud surrounds Jesus, and Jesus enters 
heaven? What is Luke telling us about the ascension? Well, the story behind the ascension you can find in Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, you have this terrifying vision. And you hear me talk about this a lot. You have this terrifying vision of monsters. Everyone say monsters. Four monsters emerging from the sea. The sea symbolized primordial evil and chaos and disorder. The four monsters represented the powers of the kingdoms of this world. They were half human, half animal. In other words, they've been animal-fied, and they're carving up the world. The reason why the world is disfigured is because these kingdoms are, have colluded with death itself. You have this horrifying vision of the Philadelphia Eagles and Washington Redskins Bad joke. Emerging from the primordial waters. And then you have the scene quickly changes to a courtroom, and you have the Ancient of Days. Everyone say the Ancient of Days. He's on his throne, and he's seated in judgment over the powers. And then you have someone like the Son of Man who ascends on the clouds and is seated right next to the Ancient of Days, and he's given, Daniel tells us, authority over all kingdoms and over creation itself. This is the story that Luke is telling us. Luke, when he references the clouds and kind of the tearing of space and then Jesus goes into heaven, he's not saying, oh, this is a vertical takeoff. Yes, Jesus did go to heaven, and yes, heaven is a real place. Can I get an amen? Different kind of space, different kind of matter. It's a different kind of world, but it relates and it overlaps with earth itself. But Luke is telling us the story of Daniel, that the ascension of Jesus is the dramatic fulfillment of the Son of Man now been given authority over creation itself. Jesus, in other words, in his ascension, it's not about abandonment. It's not about absence. It's about authority. It's about enthronement. When Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus is now taking authority over all of space, all of time, all of matter, all the seasons. Uh, in other words, Jesus now is king over every square inch of creation itself. Not leaving. Come on. Not, not, it's not the soul of Jesus flying to some disembodied location we call heaven, kind of doing non-physical nothingness in heaven. No, this is Jesus going into heaven so that he can rule and stand over creation, the powers, defeat of, of evil itself. And now he has the authority and the power to lead his people into his victory. Like what, what, what do people do in heaven? Like people think weird thoughts about heaven, right? And I talk about this a lot, but many people think that heaven is a place where we just kind of like, we just chill. How many like to chill? That's great. How many of you want some more rest? All the parents said amen to that. Like I think that's great, but that's not primarily what heaven is about. When you go to heaven, yes, it's God's space, and yes, there's rest, but it's not a place of like cosmic idleness, well, we just kind of eat disembodied, like, non-physical bonbons. I don't know what bonbons are. I just kind of say it all the time, right? Where we're just kind of chilling and relaxing, right? And I, I was going to, anyways, we're just, we're just having a good old time. That's not what heaven is. Heaven is like the control center. 
Heaven is a place where God rules all of creation. In fact, when Jesus goes into heaven, he's not just kind of chilling and dusting off like disembodied cellos and getting the heavenly choir ready for some distant future moment. No, Jesus is in fact, it, it, it feels incomprehensible because we can't totally understand what's going on, but, but the risen Jesus, everyone say the risen Jesus. The risen bodily Jesus is in heaven right now standing over creation and, and moving the entire world to its intended goal. In other words, Jesus is in charge. Jesus has been given all authority over all space, all of time, all of matter. And it was because the early church believed this that Jesus bodily came back from the dead. New creation is now breaking out everywhere. Jesus ascended to his Father. That's not about absence. That's about enthronement. They then moved into what it truly meant to be a living, breathing, acting, serving, on-mission kind of Christian. If we get this wrong, if we forget that Jesus is in charge of everything, then we get Christianity wrong. One pastor, he said, I love this, uh, he wrote that ascension is ascendancy, it's not absence. Jesus is Lord. Am I, am I talking too loud this morning? Should I whisper? Jesus is Lord now. The ascension means Jesus is not Lord elect. He's not Lord gonna be. He's not Lord someday. But he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords right now. He runs the White House, everything from the White House to your house to the, you know what it is, the crack house, right? Everything, all space is ruled by Jesus. This means that there's no place or space where either Jesus is not or where Jesus is not king. He is in charge of it all. He has authority. I want to read Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And this is an authority kind of commissioning a moment. Jesus is on a mountain. Matthew places Jesus on the mountain a lot. Mountains um, are an important theme for Matthew. So Jesus is like the new Moses. Everyone say the new Moses is what Matthew's telling us. He's on the mountain with his disciples post-resurrection. And he's about ready to commission his disciples. And verse 16 reads, and I want you to think of Jesus as the new Moses looking into the future. And uh, he says in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, excuse me, Matthew says this, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. How many of you would say that's immense? I want you to feel the scale of this. The scale of God's authority is cosmic. And then he continues. Here's the basis of the commissioning. Because he has all authority on earth. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what's the beginning of Christianity? 
beginning story of Christianity in the early church is that Jesus was the king and all authority had been given to him. Revelation chapter 1, 17 through 18, uh, Jesus reveals himself to uh, St. John. And uh, this is John's word. He says, when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. I think that's appropriate response. Can I get any man to that? But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. There's nothing to be afraid of. All is well. I am the first and the last. Think of the scale. Think of the sweeping scope of this. And I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, this is a treatise, Paul's treatise on resurrection. He writes this at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up. Everyone say swallowed up. Death is swallowed up in victory. Continues in verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we have the victory through Jesus, who defeated death, took death, turned it back on itself, did a little zigzag thing, and reversed death. New creation is now bursting forth. We talked about springtime uh, on Easter. Now, therefore, my beloved brothers, because you have the victory, and Jesus is the king. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. No matter what you go through, what you do is not in vain because Jesus is in charge. And what you do in the present will carry through, and this is what Paul is saying, will carry through into the new heavens and new earth. Can I get an amen to that? So ascension, the authority of Jesus over all space, over all time, over all matter, over McDonald's and Starbucks, over Hollywood itself, over all the modern day Herods and Caesars, Jesus is in charge of it all. Can I get an amen to that? This is important for us to understand because the early Christians, you know what, you know how they handled where their source of strength came from and how they handled suffering and martyrdom and frustration and apocalyptic storms, how they, how they, meant, how they functioned in God's anointing and presence and how they worshiped and they lived extravagantly generous lives. How they did that was because they had a bigger view of Jesus than death itself. They had a bigger view of Jesus than their boss, than corrupt businessmen. They had a bigger view of Jesus than sickness. They had a big, bigger view of Jesus than the corrupt powers. They had a bigger view of Jesus than even life itself. I think the problem with, and this is just me, I don't like to talk about problems a lot, but I think it's important that we talk about problems sometimes. I think the problem with some people in the church is that they believe Christianity is about our soul one day flying up to heaven. And that's not, that's, that's a parody at the least of what the Christian story is about. Jesus did not come and die for our sins and was buried and came back from the dead so we could just simply fly off 
to a disembodied location. No, Christianity is about Jesus being in charge and now you and I being remade in the image of God and getting our job back, a commissioning to reflect and to embody and to live and to serve for the kingdom of God in our world. So when you think the story of Christianity is just simply about saying a nice little prayer and one day in some post-mortem world you get to spend eternity with Jesus, you, you, you misunderstand, grossly misunderstand what the Christian story is about. The Christian story also is not about just being a good person. Christian Smith, the famous sociologist, Christian sociologist, he came to the conclusion about a decade ago that American young people who have grown up in the church are moralistic, therapeutic deists. Which simply means that, and this is, not, this is not like a dig against anybody, it just it kind of shows us maybe a little bit of the state of the church, but God's good, right? God stands over the church. But it does show us where people are at and how kind of people think about the Christian story. By moralistic, he, he, he basically defines moralism as just simply a lot of Christians think that uh, following Jesus is about being good, paying your taxes, uh, being nice to your neighbors, and kind of living uh, the good life, right? Uh, by uh, therapeutic, uh, a lot of Christians believe that Jesus is designed just to make them feel good. Or the role, the relationship with Jesus and his followers is just kind of like a cosmic um, therapeutic counselor, right? Uh, and then by, deist, by deistic or deism, uh, people assume that God is somehow way out in space, maybe intervenes in this continuum that we live every now and then if we live really good lives. Like if we pray a lot, God will intervene occasionally. So it's about being good, having Jesus as our homie and our best friend, and uh, God intervening in our life every now and then. That's not what the Christian story is about. Jesus is at work in our world every single moment. Jesus is king over every square inch of space, which you should be encouraged when you, Jesus stands over even how you feel. Jesus stands over your marriage. And so when you go to like a, a different kind of space during the week, this is one space. Many people call this like sacred space. We as followers of Jesus, we come to church on Sunday. And that's when Jesus is king. And then we on Monday through Saturday, we kind of do our own thing. There's kind of a vacuum. It's what we call a secular space. And it's ruled by the forces of chaos. That is not a biblical way of seeing our world. God is not intimidated uh, by your workspace or your school space or your family space or your marriage space or even the White House, right? God is everywhere, present. I know second service is going to give me some really good amens. In fact, the ascension is the dramatic fulfillment of God filling every place. In fact, I love Matthew 28 when Jesus tells his disciples, hey, guys, check this out. I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. To the very end of the age. The very end, I'm going to be with you. I love this. So if Jesus is going to be with his disciples to the very end, don't you think, we talk about this a lot, don't you think that God will be with you at the end of your day? At the end of your Mondays, Blue Mondays? 
right? I, I hate Mondays. I know some of you, uh, the Flemings, they love Mondays. I know, but I can't stand Mondays, right? Or, or Wednesdays. Or do you think that Jesus will be the end of your suffering? Can I get an amen to this? That Jesus will be, if he's going to be at the end of the age, he's going to be the end of every experience and moment and place that you go. Jesus is bigger than life and death itself. Think of how cosmic that is. That is the basis for truly living a fully Christian life. Jesus is in charge. So our goal is not to behave first. Our goal is not to try, oh, I got to pay my taxes, which is important. Can I high-five your neighbor? That's important. Our goal is not just to have some nice therapeutic, like, like worship moments where God makes us feel better about ourselves. We get a quiver in our liver and we do the Pentecostal two-step, right? But God's not some distant, like, the tribal deity that every now and then intervenes in our life if we, like, sort out our lives like we should. No, Jesus is intimately involved. He's available. He's present. He's in charge. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's not king one to be. He's not king elect, king one day. He is king right now. If you don't believe this, you can't believe this, you can't, I gotta be honest with you, you can't live a fully Christian human life. You'll, you'll never, evangelism will not make sense. Serving, acting, loving like a Christian, living generously will not make sense. It will it, it become incomprehensible if we don't start with Jesus standing over the powers and even, even standing over us. Just so you know, and I know you know this, I'm not in charge. This isn't my church. I know we, we talk about how my wife and I are the lead pastors. Sort of. Jesus is actually the lead pastor of this church. He stands over the church, which this should be encouraging. Like The problem, I think, with a lot of people is that we assume that Jesus equals the church. That Jesus is synonymous with the church. No, 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 no. Yes, the church has a responsibility to participate within the kingdom of God, but Jesus is the king and he stands over us. The problem, and some of you have this problem with Jesus, is you've been to church before and you've been burned and because you've worked from an assumption that, well, hey, that pastor or that person in the church, that somehow they equal Jesus himself, it affects your relationship with God and then you start going on the wandering circuit, trying to find the perfect church because you were hurt and it was based on an assumption that Jesus and the church are synonymous, and they're not. The church is not perfect. You'll never find a perfect church. Everyone in this room, we are imperfect. Let's stop acting like we got everything together. I'm a redhead. I still have anger issues. Jesus is still working in my life. In fact, when you step foot in the door, you make this church imperfect. Even if it was perfect, you make it imperfect, right? We all have our issues, and this is important because if we don't work from this assumption, we'll become disillusioned with the church. And then we'll become just, we'll just kind of float around. We won't be, uh, really ever commit ourselves to being a part of God's people. 
It's important that we understand this. The other thing we got to understand is the kind of the opposite, like, um, error. If Jesus is not the church, we also have to understand that if Jesus is king over every square inch, that does not mean a theocracy. That does not mean we're going to force people to serve Jesus. Let me tell you something. God has created everyone in this room with an ability. We call this authentic freedom. God has given you the ability to choose. This is how loving God is. To choose to resist him. God will not force himself on you. He gives you ontological space or authentic freedom to choose to either serve or not serve him. However, 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 God, we talk about this a lot. God cannot give you, God cannot give you what you want outside of himself, and that's peace and joy and happiness. God will give you the ability. He's given you the ability to resist him. But God, in his loving kingdom, in his loving nature, cannot give you joy and peace outside of himself. So the danger that we can't, that we must resist is this idea that, okay, we gotta go around and we gotta, we gotta force people to serve God. That's not how God works. Can I get an amen? But we love people into the kingdom. We pray. We're gonna be talking about prayer. We, we pray people into the kingdom. We, we're vulnerable. Can I get an amen? We suffer. We see God do extraordinary healings. We, we're gonna be talking about all this stuff. We, we pray, we worship, we live our lives, we live generously, and as we embody the lordship of Jesus, and we fulfill that, that's when people open up their heart and experience the good news in their life. Amen? So what does the ascension do? The ascension, really quick, is it's explosive. Everyone say it's explosive. In, in this setting, in the world of Jesus, it possessed a counter-imperial force. When you say Jesus is king, you're saying not Caesar, not Herod, not the religious leaders. So when we say Jesus is king, I want you to feel it. I want you to feel this. This is political dynamite. When we say Jesus is king, we are saying not President Obama, not President Trump, not our boss, right? We are saying that Jesus is. Now we honor authority. Can I get an amen to that? I'm not saying, oh, let's like, uh, let's come up with some constitutional thing and let's succeed from the union, right? It's only King Jesus. That's not how, that's not how we roll. Turn to your neighbor, high five him. That was a bad joke, but whatever. Jesus is king over um, the Democrat party, over the Republican party, over America itself. If we domesticate the ascension or we downplay the ascension, uh, the ascension, uh, it, it, it causes us to um, not live the full Christian life. Ascension also compels us to break out of our cozy, comfortable, uh, I'll say status quo form of Christianity. Resurrection, ascension, in the words of one scholar, is the most socially, culturally, and politically explosive force imaginable, blasting its way through sealed tombs and locked doors. If the resurrection ascension happened, it matters. Can I get an amen to that? You cannot say, if you say Jesus has come back from the dead, and Jesus has ascended, meaning he's been enthroned and now he's in charge 
of the entire space-time universe. You cannot say, oh, that's great, and not change your life. The world is a different place if Jesus came back from the dead. Can I get an amen? If he ascended and now he's the king, this world is different from what it would be if it did not happen. The one who believes this is committed to living in this different world. Christianity is not a private claim on souls for heaven. It's a claim on the world. So as we close here, and I'm done, what does the ascension create in us? It creates radical humility. Creates radical humility. This is our starting point. This means that I'm not in charge of myself. I'm not in charge of this church. I'm not in charge of my family. I'm not in charge of my life. Jesus is. It means I can't, I can't do whatever I want to do. Can I get an amen to that? It means there are some styles of behavior that go against the grain of the kingdom of God. That means that I, it, it's, it's amazing how we, how do I say this delicately? Can, is it okay if I talk like this? It's amazing how so many people who really love God just don't spend time with him. You might not think of this as pride, but it is. I offended everybody. I'm sorry. If we don't spend time with Jesus and submit ourselves to his loving kingdom, loving kingdom, not his theocracy, his loving kingdom, we can't truly be Christian. We, we can't talk about the spirit. We can't talk about being generous. We can't talk about loving people. We, we can't be who God's called us to be if we don't start with Jesus has risen and now he sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father and now he is ruling all of space and time. He rules the past, the present, and the future. When we get a hold of this and we allow the ascension to permeate our thinking and our heart and our feeling, that is when, that is when God begins to explode and flood our city with his presence, with his grace. Amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your grace. Jesus, I thank you that you have all authority. Lord, we declare there's no one like you. Lord, we, we say in our hearts in this moment that Jesus came back from the dead. And we declare that Jesus is really the king of the world. And Lord, I just ask, can you take your hand and put it on your heart? You don't have to do this, but I just want to pray for us that we, let, let this become a fresh starting point for us. I know some of us are like, we are 
we are in a season of difficulty and we're wrestling with problems and hardship. Some of you have been diagnosed with um, cancer. Some of you, with, you, you've been living with chronic disease. And I want you to hear this today. You might not feel like it. And I want to be sensitive to what you're going through in maybe this difficult season. But the reality is, Jesus stands over cancer. He stands over your chronic disease, your sickness. Some of you are frustrated. You've been praying for healing for a long time, and it hasn't happened. I want to encourage you this morning, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus stands over your season and your situation. He's in charge. What you're going through is not an accident. Can I get an amen to that? As in taking God by surprise. There's nothing that lies outside of his authority. And Lord, as we place our hands on our heart, if there's anybody who's going through a really difficult season and hardship, I just ask you would come and you would bring encouragement, bring your peace, bring your strength, and bring your healing. Let your will be done in their lives. In your name we pray. Thank you for encouraging your people. Lord, you are Lord of all space. Tomorrow when we go home, we wake up, we go to work, you're there. When we go through our week, everywhere we go, grocery store, school, soccer practice, whatever it might be, I can't think of anything else. Lord, I thank you. You are there. But let, let us, let that reality settle in our soul. Let it inform how we live our lives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You are so good. We love you. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com. 